This is Jimmy Scroggins. I'm the lead pastor at Family Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. Are you tired of going to conferences, reading books, and listening to speakers who tell you how to do church when you know that you cannot do what they are recommending? You've come to the right place on our podcast. We're going to give you principles, strategies, and ideas that you can implement right now with the resources you have at your church because this is church for the rest of us. We're glad you joined us for another episode of the Church for the Rest of Us podcast. I'm here again with my co-host, Leslie Bennett, and our Family Church CFO, Scott Crawford, giving you the business on church business. And Leslie, I am fighting a cold today. Do you hear that? I do hear that. So I kind of have a scratchy throat. Mm -hmm. I sound like a smoker. And I don't know, listeners, you're just going to have to tolerate. But we're still going to talk about the business on church business. That's right. Well, this has been a great series because we've talked about some topics that have application to all kinds of churches. I feel like they're super scalable, and that's what we're trying to do here at Church for the Rest of Us. Absolutely. Well, we want to make these concepts scalable so that every church can apply it in their own context. And this series on church business gives us a chance to think and talk about things that are not always on the front burner uh, for many pastors. Because when you go to seminary, I was actually on the phone with a pastor yesterday. He said, they didn't tell me any of this stuff at seminary. That's right. And I said, no kidding. They didn't tell me either. So we've just gone to the school of hard knocks, but we're trying to help our listeners learn from our mistakes and lessons that some others have had to learn the hard way. So today we're talking about creating feedback and accountability loops for your team. That's accountability loops for your team. So Scott, this is actually more of a front burner topic for you and your team at Family Church. So why don't you talk a little bit about why we think it's important to have a process for feedback and accountability. Sure. Thanks, Jimmy. I'd love to. You know, with a number of the topics we've been discussing, we've said that it's important to do them in a way that reinforces the culture you're trying to drive in your church. And, and this one's no exception. The main reason it's important to have a process like this is because there are just some things that are naturally occurring barriers uh, to having healthy feedback. Now, first is everyone is just busy. You know, like most churches, our building opens at six in the morning, doesn't close till nine o'clock that night. So there's always some activity to attend or something we're trying to get done. There's also the tyranny of the urgent. You know, things just happen. Life interrupts. And so even on days when we have our priorities fully set and we've got our schedules made uh, and everything's according to a plan, things just come up that require our immediate attention. That walk-in traffic. Yeah. It's devastating, isn't it? (laughs) I figured out that the closed door, my door is closed. It's really just a barrier to slow people down. It doesn't actually keep them out. That's right. Yeah. They just come right in. That's right. right. Yeah. Well, well, the funny thing about walk-in traffic is it all is important. I mean, people come in, they need to see you. They want to see you and we want to see them. But man, it does make it hard to get these things done. No, that, that's sure it does. And the last thing is just that churches by default, I think, are what I would call high trust environments. You know, most of us, we believe the best about each other and we all believe everybody's on the same page. We're all trying to accomplish the same mission. And so honestly, it just ends up being easy to keep pressing forward without ever taking time to circle back. That's true. All those things are so true. We are so busy and we have to be really intentional about the ways that we meet with our staff, if we have staff or our volunteers, if we have volunteers, because it's not always intuitive to plan out conversations and interactions with each other. We think they're just going to 
happen. Leslie, I really like that you use the word conversations because that's what we're talking about. You know, if you do this right, including a little bit of advanced preparation, uh, these conversations can actually help people stay focused on the mission. It can also help you build the kind of healthy staff culture that I know all of our listeners want to build in their churches and certainly the kind of culture that we want to build here at Family Church. So Scott, talk about some ways that we are thinking about feedback at Family Church. Yeah, I think when we talk about feedback, it's important to note that by feedback, we aren't just talking about the limited scope of simply choosing between giving someone praise or criticism. Providing feedback to someone may include an element of praise or criticism, but it really needs to be more than that. Uh, It also isn't just a response. You know, by nature, I'm a pretty simple guy. So if you ask me a yes or no question that doesn't have any legal or financial implications, <laughs> I'm probably going to give you a yes that or no so answer. That is so true. <laughs> give these short conversations with Scott. You think yesterday went well? Yes. <laughs> yeah. The problem is, is after 13 years of marriage, I'm learning more and more that more often than not, what my, li- my, my wife is looking for when we have a conversation is a little more than a yes or no response. Yeah. So is your pastor. Yeah. Very smart man. <laughs> That's right. Very smart. So for us, we think effective feedback needs to be first intentional. You know, know the reasons you're having the meeting. Why are you having the conversation in the first place? And we think it matters more that there is a reason than even what the reason actually is. We also think it ought to be mutually beneficial. You know, our posture as leaders ought to be aimed at benefiting the individual and the church. You know, be engaged in the development of your people. Make sure there's something in it for them, too. Man, that's so important, Scott, because that's part of our culture that we want to build, where we want people to believe we want the very best for them, not just because of what they do for Family Church, but because we care about them for them. And part of this feedback that, you know, you've helped us create, I think, really communicates that really well. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. The other thing we think it needs to be is reciprocal. You know, it doesn't really work if it's always initiated by one party. So, you know, if it, if the leader is the one who's always doing the initiating, sometimes it can feel a little bit, you know, like when the pastor calls and says, hey, or calls or texts and says, hey, I need you to come see me. There's an <laughs> instant anxiety that builds up, like if it's, if it's always just one-sided. Or if you're the leader and you always kind of feel like someone on your staff is stalking you, like every time they see you, they've got an urgent issue they need to bring to your attention. That doesn't really work so much either. It really works when both parties are initiating that that conversation. Another sign is of a healthy staff culture is when the feedback is just fluid and regularly occurs. You know, if you do this well throughout the year, it really does allow your year end evaluation process to be more forward thinking and focused on what you want to accomplish next year versus spending the entire time looking backwards at what we did or didn't get accomplished during the current year. Yeah, I agree with all that is so important. I also think it's important that as leaders, we have to constantly look for ways to engage people on our teams and let them know how they're doing. And again, some of you are thinking, oh, I bet at Family Church because you have all this staff. Yeah, that's true, but I haven't always been at Family Church. And Family Church hasn't always been what it is today. And so I have had situations where I had all volunteer teams and no paid employees. You still have to give this kind of feedback if you actually want to grow your team and expand your capacity for accomplishing your kingdom objectives. And so some things that you might want to just be asking your team instead of just always you know, coaching them or barking at them is just ask them, hey, how could I actually help you? What could I do to make your life or your job better? Uh, what resources do you need to be successful? It, you know, Even if I can't provide all the resources, I at least would like to know what they think they actually need so I can work towards it. And then as a staff member, and I was a staff member for many, many years, 
all of us as staff members ought to be leaning into accountability instead of pushing off from accountability. Yeah, that's a challenge because I think naturally we want to lean away from accountability. We, do. we don't necessarily want to be held accountable to the things um, that we're. It's just countercultural to us in our in the society that we live in. Most people don't want accountability, even in church. So, how do we lean into accountability, Scott? What are some tips that you could give us? Well, let me let me jump in there on that. I actually think that part of this is because all of us have this loose idea of what accountability means. But in practice, many people have only experienced accountability in the negative sense. And so each of us approaches every situation from a unique perspective and our real world experiences influence and shape the perspective that we have. And so part of what we need to do is help people experience accountability in a healthy way. So Scott, how would you say we're trying to frame the word accountability in a positive way for our team at Family Church? That's a great question, Jimmy. And you're right. You know, most people approach that word from a different perspective and and it is based often on their own experiences. So I think it's helpful to baseline what we mean by accountability so that everyone understands it. Sociologists tell us that language and culture are intimately related to each other. So then part of building a healthy culture is building a common language. And we're trying to frame the word accountability here through the lens of ownership and responsibility. So here's kind of a working definition for what that means at Family Church. We think the process for giving feedback and accountability is really just a planned conversation to discuss how well we're doing with taking ownership and responsibility for the tasks that have been assigned or entrusted to us. I know it's a little long for a t-shirt. Yeah, but I think please it don't captures, put it on my yeah. t-shirt. Yeah, yeah. I think that captures everything that we're trying to accomplish. Well, well, I like that definition because there isn't anything inherently positive or negative. It's just a planned conversation. I'd go even so far as to say that if one or both parties walk away from a feedback session or, you know, an accountability session, or maybe it's just a, a normal kind of a, a feedback conversation, if someone walks away demoralized or feeling dejected, then I would say I didn't handle that conversation the right way. I never want one of our team members to feel demoralized or rejected because we had a conversation. It's possible to have even a difficult conversation about performance, that subpar where everyone still walks away with confidence and clarity about what's working well and the areas that need some renewed or more focused attention. And that's where preparation comes into play. A friend of mine that we had on our podcast in the past, Coach Chris Hobbs, introduced our staff to the concept of one-to-one planning. That's the idea that a good coach spends about one minute of preparation for every minute of practice. And I was really challenged by that. And so I encourage our pastors and I've encouraged myself to do the same thing. Before you have a 15 minute performance conversation with someone, why don't you spend at least 15 minutes preparing to have that conversation? The 15 minutes of preparation is part of the way that you show respect and love for your team member and also for the organization that you're trying to lead. Yeah, and I discover that usually shooting from the hip on this kind of conversation doesn't really work very well. So you do need to think about that before you have the conversation. But Scott, you said earlier we have some natural barriers that happen, especially in churches that prevent us from having these kinds of conversations. So what are your thoughts on how we can be more successful at doing this? Yeah, well, first, let me be clear to to our listeners that a lot of what we've been talking about on our, our business series is aspirational and anecdotal. That and, means that we don't actually do all <laughs> this right, stuff. We're exactly trying. Right. Yeah, yeah. So we are aspiring to those things, and we aspire Just to do for it the podcast. 100% of the time, but, but we are learning a lot along the way. Uh, we think for accountability feedback, there are several important things that we can do. And again, if we do them right, we think it when it's time for the year-end evaluation process, there won't be any surprises. 
And so one of those things is frequency. And this is really speaking to the timing of the conversation. You know, make it a regular practice. Make it part of your ongoing interactions with each other. You know, it really isn't helpful for either the employee or the leader to create a backlog of all the things that are frustrating or need to be addressed and then kind of unload them all at one time in one fell swoop, like at the annual annual review. That's so critical. And one of the things I think that pastors often fail to do is to create regular interactions, even daily or weekly interactions. There's actually a lot of literature about this in business books about meetings and how to do that. But having regular interactions that are genuine, deep interactions are important because that way, um, if we're having an evaluation, um, I'm not just telling you these things in June at the mid-year and in December at the end of the year. We've been talking about this stuff every week. In fact, a lot of times, Scott and Leslie, like you and I do evaluations together. A lot of times we're kind of like, well, let's just talk about the future because we've been talking about the job. right. You know, multiple times a week, I don't have any new stuff to tell you. Yeah. Those are two questions I learned from my friend Katie Cole in her book, Sticky Note Leadership, that I ask at all of my team meetings. Are there any barriers I can knock down for you or any support that I can give to you? I know that's in a team setting, but it communicates to the whole team that I'm on your side, not only supporting you, but going ahead of you and knocking down those barriers. I thought those were two really good questions. No, those are. And Jimmy, you've done such a good job building that into our culture because even within the context of our meetings, there's time at the end of the meeting for open discussion and dialogue. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just hit the agenda and call it a day. I mean, we we actually have, there's interaction in those meetings. They're, they're not just agenda driven. You know, the other thing that I think, uh, Jimmy, that you've helped us to think a lot about is just keeping short accounts. You know, so under this umbrella of frequency, Keeping short accounts with one another means that once we've had the conversation, once we've communicated what's working or what's not working, then let's move on because we've we've got a task to do. The mission is big and the work is hard. And so let's get after it. Another thing I think is important is brevity. You know, so really talking about the duration of the conversation. You know, we we don't fall need to fall in the trap that thinks that to make it an official conversation <laughs> needs to be an hour long and, and be five type pages. Like it's okay to just have a fifteen minute conversation. It's still just as effective and just as official if we do it that way. And as we said before, there's no reason for it to be any longer than that if it's already part of your regular staff culture. You know, once it becomes part of your ongoing dialogue and your routine, you really may only need a few minutes each time to cover everything that needs to be discussed. Yeah, and I think a lot of leaders struggle to have these conversations because they're a little bit uncomfortable or awkward or difficult. Because when you're talking to another person that you love and respect and they're professional or they're a a committed volunteer and you're about to tell them, hey, here's something I want you to try to do better – it is a little bit insulting to them initially, and they may get a little bit defensive. Most of us get a little defensive when we feel like we're being criticized. And that's why building this environment of, I like what you said, frequency, where you are frequently interacting and where these difficult conversations are not unusual. Like we're able to say, hey, we need to do this better. And you guys have done that with me before too, where you've said, hey, okay, pastor, we need more of this from you. Like we're trying to do a good job. We need your help here. That is very clarifying and very helpful. And so this idea of keeping short accounts. And so it's not, I mean, this people let stuff stack up and stack up and stack up. And then like they have this big, you know, conversation where they just dump all over you. And you're like, my gosh, if I'd have known (laughs) this, I would have never let it get to this point. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't hear the whistle on the train coming. It would have been nice <laughs> yeah. to know. Yeah. Well, Jimmy, you've done a good job with that too. You know, we had a we had an entire staff retreat one time talking about stuck, unstuck. 
And so that the whole concept of what's working, what's not working, that just becomes part of the natural rhythm of how we do church and how we constantly evaluate our effectiveness at the ministry programming that we're doing and how our campus is doing, how our ministry area is doing, how our finances doing, that regular review and then the candid conversation surrounding the data is super, super helpful. You know, the last thing I think that we're talking about is clarity. And I think this deals with the level at which both parties in the conversation on the same page. You know, as Jimmy, you talked about leadership books, and there's all kinds of leadership books and articles that deal with the subject of job satisfaction and healthy culture. And most of them point to the importance of having clear job expectations. Mm -hmm. You know, a universal truth is the fact that individuals typically perform better when they know what's expected of them and what they can expect from their leader. And the other part of that clarity is we, we're talking about is having clear next steps. So even when the conversation is a difficult one, both the leader and the employee can walk away with a sense of confidence if they're both on the same page for what's going to happen next. And included in this, I think things like measurements, you know, what are we going to use as the measurement tool to see if the actions that we're taking are actually yielding desired results, a timing, what's the time frame we're working within and when's the next review period going to take place. And then last is commitment. You know, what are we both agreeing to do? What are we both committing to do as we move forward together? You know, one of the most important ways at establishing clarity, and I would recommend this, whether you're a subordinate or whether you're the boss, follow up with a clarifying email that clarifies any decisions that have been made or any commitments that have been made by either party. So if you tell me, hey, you know, Jimmy, you've done a great job as a youth pastor. We're going to give you a 5% raise in January then I would send an email back to whoever had that conversation with me and just say, thank you. So excited to be the youth pastor here. I appreciate you establishing this 5% raise that will start in January. Mm -hmm. And you clarify. And that way, my boss could go, whoa, 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 whoa. I was speaking aspirationally. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. We don't actually have the funding for that. But it lets you actually create clarity. And so if you make a decision on a change, a job change, a behavior change, I would recommend a clarifying email that then kind of establishes a paper trail, not to get someone in trouble, but just so we're both clarifying. And if somebody's not willing to put something in writing, then it's probably not real. And so I think that's a very healthy way if you feel like, hey, we just made a significant conversation or we took some significant steps. Clarifying email immediate, you know, really quickly afterwards is a, is a really healthy and helpful way to create clarity. No, that's right. And we do that in our meetings too. You know, one of the things that we did, we had, we ran some internal task force, you know, about a year ago, and we're looking at some ways for continuous improvement in our organization. And one of the things, the simple thing that we came up with was just having a running action item list, which holds people, this is part of the accountability loop we're talking about is what did we agree to do? What's the time frame we agreed to do it within? And each meeting, we just simply review the action items just to make sure we're all staying on the same page. And it's got names, dates, da- and, action, right. and it's really helpful. No, it sure is. It's made our meetings a lot more effective. That's right. And then, of course, it's your year-end review. You know, so we have a, a the last section of our year-end review. So you've got the, you know, I score myself and you score me. We, we have the conversation about it. But then the last piece of that is what we would call an individual development plan. And on that plan, we're really, that's where we're both committing to What are the things that I'm going to do next year? What are the things that you're going to do to help me be successful next year? And we can put some measurements on there and and tools and and ways to track that. But that also kind of helps us have a written record of kind of how this year wrapped up and where we're headed for for next year. Uh, Last thing I would say is there's a few things I think that we can do environmentally to help facilitate a healthy conversation. And one of those, I think, is picking a neutral location. 
And it might be easy to just think think of the three C's: coffee shops, couches, and conference rooms. Are all, <laughs> these are all great places, and there's just something about being on what I would call neutral turf that helps it from feeling like someone has home field advantage some way by being in somebody's office, sitting across from the big desk and the big chair. I also think we ought to schedule them in advance. You know, in the same way that we encouraged our leaders to prep for the meeting, we need to give our staff members the same time to do that. You know, it isn't ideal for one person to come to the meeting armed with everything they've wanted to say in a 15-minute time frame and then expect the other person to respond or interact and right. they haven't had time to Off prep. The cuff. That's right. And then last, be, be wise on the time of day. You know, don't schedule it 10 minutes before the end of the day or five minutes before you both have a, an important lunch meeting. You know, give yourself the time that you need to have the conversation without looking at your watch. So, Scott, let's like, let me just ask you a question. When you're talking about this, you're talking about just regular meetings with your team members or your high-level volunteers. So, how – I mean, I know you said frequent, but what is your idea of what that means just from a practical standpoint? Yeah, you know, I think it's different for each person. Okay. You know, so, that based on their role and based on uh, their level of leadership, you mm-hmm. know, some you might need more conversations and you might need to give more specific direction and others are, are kind of under general leadership. And so, it may be a touch point with them just, hey, are we on track? Or are we, are we, you know, meeting the objectives that we set for ourselves? Do you need my help with anything? So yeah, you're right. Some of that's just going to be a quick five minute touch point. And some of it may need a little more, you know, diving into and let's look at the data and, and what's the data telling us. Yeah, that's so good. Thank you for those practical steps that can work for a church of any size or a staff of any size. And like we said, it doesn't have to be paid. It can be your high level volunteers. I know you've talked a lot about that, Jimmy. Yeah, and it's so important that everybody understands our hope is that these ideas are scalable. And I believe that these are. Well, this has been a great conversation. And I hope that our listeners are finding these practical guidelines helpful in your ministry, your organization, as you've been listening. Scott, are there any resources that we can recommend to our church for the rest of us churches and listeners who need help in establishing feedback and accountability loops? Yeah, uh, Society for Human Resource Management. It's shrm.org, smartchurchmanagement.com. Obviously, we always encourage people to check with HR professionals within your church. Uh, We've all talked about that we all have a number of professionals who are volunteers within our church and would love to serve the church that way. And then last, if you like reading books that are written kind of from a classical business model, books like Difficult Conversations, and then the follow-up companion to that, that Thanks for the Feedback, those are a couple of good books that are that are easy reads from Harvard Business School. Well, that's week nine, yeah. Leslie, on the business on church business. So let's run down the weeks that we've gone. What are, what are our topics? Number one? Know your bylaws. Number two, lawyer up. Number three. Pay for an outside audit. Number four, set the senior pastor's compensation. My favorite. Number five. (laughs) Be prepared to manage risk. Number six. Cash flow is king. Number seven, hire the best people you can afford. Number eight. Hire slow, fire fast. Number nine. Create feedback and accountability loops for people. And next week, number 10, we'll be talking about having a lot of one-on-one meetings. Can't wait. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins or check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog. We want your feedback on today's podcast. Plus, we want to know what you are doing because we want to learn from you too. Hey, until next time, This is Jimmy Scroggins, and you've been listening to Church for the Rest of Us.